Woo! Is your bath hot, Harry? Yeah, I thought I'd better go for a hot one in case, in case we're here for a while. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Corey Wharton Malcolm, aka The Beefy, and welcome to the podcast, The Tub Hub. I'm not sure what week this is, um, but this is a, an episode where we are going to discuss a little bit more than help. But normally this podcast is just about help. But on a week where the world is together and asking for help, I think we need to discuss that. So joining me is a very good friend of mine, Mr. Harry Jameson. Are you there, sir? I'm here, sir. I'm in my bath. <laughs> which, uh, which is a treat for, for mid-morning uh, Friday, Friday so, bath time. Now, even before we get into the, the who you are and why you're in the bath and all that sort of stuff, when I spoke to you earlier on, how did you think that this podcast was going to be recorded? I thought you were... <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to... I thought you were going to invite me around to your house and we were either going to share a bar or I was going to sit next to you while you were in the bar. Which, which, <laughs> no, that is. It both excited me and frightened me at the same time. <laughs> but now I know that we're respecting social distancing and we're in our respective bars. So I feel slightly more comfortable about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, Harry, who, who are you? Who is Harry Jameson and how have we ended up on this, this, this call together? Who is Harry Jameson? Um, it's always weird when you talk about yourself in the third person, but I've been a, a performance coach, personal trainer, health and fitness expert for 17 years now, maybe a little bit more. Um, working always in, in the luxury end of the health and wellbeing space, so in central London, working with some massive brands that you and I have both worked with and also some sort of highly successful individuals. So my viewpoint on health and well-being has always been a holistic one. I guess looking at wellness before wellness was even really a buzzword, but really helping to look at how somebody leads their life. Um, a traditional trainer would, would train people in the gym to lift weights and do sprints and lose fat. From an early stage, I was quite interested in, in all of the other things that go towards how you perform on a daily basis. So looking at your sleep and your immune system and your gut function and your relationships with other people, as well as your food and your training to, to build a, a map of somebody and then try and put together smart strategies about how they can be better. Um, better at life, better mum, better businessman, better leader better friend, better husband, better sportsman. And then I took that mentality and tried to apply it into a business setting. So how can I consult on a business to help it use health and wellbeing to, to make it better? So that's so basically your, your, your whole your whole job, your whole your whole world <laughs> revolves around helping people. Is this what you've just said? Basically helping people to be better, yeah. I think um, in my professional life, definitely, you know, I think um, we're, we're in the health and fitness game. We met through health and well-being, health and fitness. And if health and fitness 
is not trying to help people get better, then I don't know what it is. That's probably the best definition of our industry. That's what it should be at its purest form. And we both know that um, that often that, that's not the case. And people are maybe out to make themselves better before they're out to make more people better. And, and how, how, did, how did we meet, Harry? We met because I was consulting on a project for the Ministry of Sound. What... <laughs> The world famous nightclub in South London wanted to branch into fitness, um, and they approached me to help them construct a, a fitness concept that wasn't just a fad. The idea of doing a workout in a nightclub sounds a little bit, at the time, was kind of a bit strange. But I, I guess if we look at all the fitness studios across London and across Europe and even across the world, they tried to recreate that nightclub environment. So looking back on it, it kind of made a lot of sense. And I was charged with designing the workout, designing the product, designing the gym, training the training and recruiting the staff. And I needed quality. That was <laughs> what I was looking for. And and, and I, I came across you on social and then thought, I've got to meet this guy. His energy is incredible. Um, let me see if we can try and get him to come in and, and teach some of our classes. Next thing you know, you're selling out endurance classes on a Sunday, raving out to drum and bass, MC and while people are doing the plank. And I thought, I've got a lot of time for this guy. And, then, <laughs> and the rest is history, I suppose. Now, speaking, speaking of the, the fitness industry, Harry, like because of the, the situation that the world is in at the moment with so many black people like speaking out now, like talking about the, the, the problems, the racial inequalities, and I guess the systematic racism that they have experienced in their lifetime. Like, do you think that, that there is a problem in the fitness industry, not necessarily with, actually, let's just call it, do, do you think that there's a problem in our fitness industry about racism and a lack of representation? I mean, the short, it depends on what end of the scale. I mean, the short answer is the fitness industry mirrors the sports industry globally. Black and ethnic minority people are very well represented in the fitness industry. Um, they're very well represented at, at the foot soldier end of the fitness industry the personal trainer end, the fitness influencer end, the, um, the fitness instructor end, the group exercise instructor end. I think there is, a map that there, is, there is almost a lopsided representation. If only one in 10 people in the country is black or mixed race, um, there's definitely more than one in 10 people in the fitness industry that are black or mixed race. Therefore, as a proportional representation of the overall population, Black people are very well represented in sports and in fitness. At the top end, at the business owner end, at the studio owner end, at the brand owner end, at the who owns the bricks and mortar buildings that our gyms are in, black people are massively underrepresented. Um, so it mirrors, it mirrors sports. If you look at the Premier League, it's been talked about before, but look at the Premier League in football. We've only recently had two or three managers and we don't have any owners that are black. 
we have some Middle Eastern owners who come in with a lot of Middle Eastern oil money and bought up a couple of clubs, that's completely different. So if you look across across our industry, we are we are very well represented, I think, because it, the fitness industry sort of is, is very much mirroring or copying or running in tandem with the sports industry. And then you look at the most famous athletes in the world who excel. Um, at their individual sports, it's a very high proportion of them that are, that are black, that are African-American, that are mixed race. Look at the England football team at the moment, look at the NBA, look at, uh, there is a good representation. However, coaches, trainers, managers, um, more coaches coming through because lots of them are ex-players. But at the real crunch end, which is ultimately the end where all the money is made, I think you could look across that those those people look at look at the boardroom go into a massive sports brand a global sports brand and sit at the board table and and see how well represented black people are or go into the boardroom at any of the biggest gym chains in the world i mean the ones that have multiple sites with expensive bricks and mortar properties how many of the people who sit on that board and make those decisions and take those shared dividends out of the company how do you think having a lack of representation as black people or minorities at the highest level affects, I guess, our ability to, to make significant change? I think it's, I think it's ultimately sort of boils down to policy making and who is, who is in the top making the decision. There's a lot been talked about, let's get black people into those positions. Now, I'm not somebody who says, let's give a job to somebody just because he's black. That's nowhere near what you should do. You shouldn't just turn around and go, oh my God, we've got no black people, let's go and find one. <laughs> let's find, let's find, find a clever, probably a clever one and we'll chuck him in and see if he adds any value so that we look diverse. We need a woman and we could do with somebody who is, who is gay or a lesbian and then we can kind of be seen to be doing our bit and ticking the boxes. That's not what we need. Um, for me, what we need is a genuine level playing field where if there are two candidates and one is white and one is not, that the only deciding factor as to whether they move up the ladder or into a position is their talent. And I don't think that globally we genuinely have a level playing field at the moment. Because if we do, there would be more senior politicians, there would be more uh, senior bankers, there would be more senior lawyers, there would be more senior business people. Um, generally, globally, decision makers, policy makers, leaders, than there are. Now, there shouldn't be 50-50, because there's not 50-50 uh, in the country. Our country is not 50% black. Um, our country is about 10% black. But even if we, given that, we, we don't see 10% of, of the real top decision makers in our country being black. And I think that's the level that we should try to get to. First of all, you have to have candidates that are talented enough to get to that position in the first place. And that's where do you think, and where do you think that that talent finding or that talent hunting, as in where do you think that journey begins? As in, I had a, a discussion with someone earlier on and they kind of asked a question, or I guess they asked me a similar question to, to one that I've, I've asked you. 
and I guess some of the notes in my head sort of started to come out. And I think a big part of, of making change is starting from, I guess, grassroots. And it's not a, a today or a, a tomorrow solution. It's a, a full generational change. It's about showing young people and young adults that they can do these things. There is an opportunity to do them and it is an, an even playing field. Like, similar to yourself, I'm not saying that people should just go out and find a black person to give them a job, but it's about opening that talent pool. It's about widening that net. It's about looking in different places. It's about not necessarily concentrating on old school academia, like looking at people's skill set and saying like, this person may not necessarily have taken exactly the same journey that I have, but they have a different set of skills that are just as useful. Um, like take for instance, I was speaking to a friend about the creative world or graphic designers. Like if you look um, proportionately at, I guess, how many black people or BMEs are, as you said, at the highest level in that business, it's, it's kind of exactly the same. But during this discussion, you kind of track it back all the way to who has the resources to attend university to acquire this degree to be able to go and work at this particular firm. So it's about finding new ways of finding talent. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a, I put I I think I believe I'm a massive believer in education, but almost as a cure for anything, right? Education is a cure for racism, as a cure for ignorance, as a cure for inequality on both sides. Now, you cannot blame a recruiter for not hiring uh, a, a specific person because they haven't been educated to a good level. Of course you wouldn't hire the, the, the uneducated. So what we need to do is to, is to create a system that is, allows the talented to get through and, and have the opportunity, an equal amount of opportunity. If there are two young gifted kids and one is black and one is white, both of them should have the same opportunities. Now, there is an argument that everybody should go to university. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that everybody should go to university because I think that, um, that the world needs people. Some people's skill sets are completely different. Some people are practical. Some people should do apprenticeships. The, the world needs builders. The world needs chefs. The world needs people who's don't require a Bachelor of Science degree of all ethnic backgrounds. But I think that, that, that those who are, have an aptitude towards something, those who have talent and drive and ambition should have equal opportunity to achieve those dreams. Part of that reason why potentially we don't, we don't see this channel of, of, of talented, educated, intelligent black people moving into those positions is, is potentially is is there the, are there the role models out there? Are there people who have paved the path before them and laid down inspiration to 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 a group of young black boys from a council estate who think I'm never going to be able to to put that suit on and go into that place and talk like they talk and speak their language? Actually, you don't have to talk like they talk or speak their language, but you do have to give a good representation of yourself and come up with good ideas. Be creative, be smart, be intelligent, be hardworking. 
Don't expect things to be given to you because you're black. Work, work hard. It is much harder in this country to be uber successful in that sense and be black. There's no argument about that. It's more challenging. There are more barriers and more hurdles. There are also more barriers and more hurdles if you're a woman. There are also more barriers and more hurdles if you're trans. There are more barriers and more hurdles if you're not an upper middle class white male. That's a fact, and that's the, the thing that needs to be changed. Now, I've worked extremely hard, overcome barriers, um, and been lucky. And that's what you need to be successful, um, I think. And then now that you are, sorry, Harry, now that you're in the position that you are in, do you help people? I try and help people daily. Um, I try... I try where I can. I think there's a difference between doing a little bit for charity every now and again to relieve <laughs> like running the odd marathon or doing your bike ride or whatever you're doing and trying to raise a few grand for charity where you'll never see the actual impact of your money and giving what really what people really want, which is your time and your knowledge. So I've tried to mentor in a pretty unofficial capacity. I mean, you mentored me, Harry. Well, no, no way. No, dude, seriously. Seriously, you have been a great mentor since meeting you. Like, genuinely. I talk to Jules about this all of the time. Like, I have, like, I don't have many friends. Like, I have a few friends that I will call and be vulnerable and be open and genuinely ask for advice and help. And, And you're one of those people because I know that regardless of what I phone you for, you will have my best interest at heart, and you're like you're a smart guy. You're <laughs> you're you're intelligent. You're successful. I'm not blowing your trumpet here. I'm, I just want the people to know that most of the people that I have on this show have been like impactful on my life. They have given me like some kind of guidance. They have given me their time. They've given their community their time, regardless of what community that is um so yes i wanted to say that you you have been a mentor to to me and to many other people which i think is the beauty of like social media and i guess (laughs) one of its negative things but the beauty in it is that you have the the option to to share like your journey your growth your messaging and all of the messaging that i get from you is like honest and like forthright, it's about progression. It's about helping people. And like you can see in, in the comments that are made and the joy that you bring other people, like it's, yeah. it's amazing. And I don't, well, I don't think, no, seriously. I don't think you think about that stuff, man. Like many of us just wake up and like get on with it. But this time, like, I think some of us at the moment have forgotten that we're in the middle of also <laughs> a global pandemic. Yeah, so yeah. we've, we've got of, all uh, of this. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, we've sort of almost forgotten about that. You know, it's almost been that distraction. But your, your, your initial question about sort of, do, do I help people? And those words are very kind, man. And I, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I think giving away some of that time and um, allowing yourself, people ask me questions all the time. I get messages from young trainers or young people and 
our industry how did you get where you are what do you recommend I do and how do how did you do and, and I try my best to always reply to all of those messages or get them on a call or tell them loads of them don't live in London so what I say quite often is you come to London and meet me for a coffee and if they can't if they make the effort to come to London to meet me for a coffee I know that they're serious and then I give them yeah. give them one or one or two hours of my time they got to come where I am <laughs> going all around the place but I bring them in to my my space at the Rosewood Hotel in London and get them a coffee understand a bit about their journey to this point and their goals moving forward tell them what I did because there's not there's not really a right and a wrong path it's just a set of, 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 of values and actually tell them some of the mistakes that I made of which there are many and and say that if I was them this is how I would set about building a personal brand building a building a, re a, a reputation these are the courses that I like these are the books and podcasts that I like these are the things that have helped me um, and success in, in any walk of life is about really about being a people person being somebody who can listen to other people being someone who can empathize I listen to this brilliant podcast um, trained with Nike guy Ryan what's the performance director of Nike called I can't even remember mate we can't expose that or something <laughs> There's something like that. Anyway, she it was the woman who started Orange Theory, which was which is like it's like a, it was basically like a, a Barry's before Barry's. You know, it's like a franchised hit circuit where they yeah. where they where you train based on heart rate. And this woman was in her in her late fifties or sixties, and she'd been in the fitness game all her life, and and started this business, which has now got hundreds of sites all over the world. And she was talking about their ethos and values that she teaches the trainers. There's just two main things that start with me. One is the two things you need to be good at this are the two E's, energy and empathy. You just need yeah. to deliver what you're delivering with passion and energy and you need to understand the other person's problem. That's key in anything. And the second thing she said was that people don't care how much you know. People want to care that you care. And if you care about someone, if you show somebody that you care about their position, and this is what the global leadership actually needs to take a little time to understand. For a second, step back, not in a disingenuous, not in a disingenuous way or a patronizing, condescending way, but genuinely show empathy for somebody who's going through something. Show them that you care, listen to them, and then try and come up with some solutions. Now, this whole, I'm, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but this no, whole... No, dude, go. This is why we're in the bath. I want a tangent. <laughs> this whole race argument, I didn't... When, when George Floyd was murdered in that horrific public execution that nobody can argue it was anything different, it, it evoked emotion and passion in, in every person I know. Black, white, old, rich, poor, whatever religious domination they denomination they they practice every you can't watch that video without feeling sad without wanting to cry without being angry last year made a very conscious decision to stop making decisions whilst i was in and whilst i was angry yeah. because your instant reaction when you are angry is to swear and swing a punch and shout and go at the person who you're angry at and what that does 
is it stops the person that you're angry at listening to what your point of view is, however valid your point of view. You run up to someone and you shout in their face and you swear at them because, you, because they've driven badly and you've driven badly. Neither of you listen to each other and nothing changes. So I sat back for nearly a week and I thought, I'm going to read, I'm going to look, I'm going to think about it, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to come to... I know what the conclusion is that obviously police brutality is horrific, but what is the solution to this whole thing? So I didn't write a post going, all white people have to go out now and say something, because all white people don't have to go and say something. But the systemic problem in, in our world, and specifically in North America and, and in Europe, is that we do not have fair representation in decision-making positions of black and brown people. Now, why is that? Is that an educational problem or is it that we've created this system that makes it far more difficult for somebody like me or somebody like you to succeed? We have to be exceptional, exceptional, <laughs> exceptional. To get anywhere near the boardroom, you've got to be 10 times better, potentially, yep. Than, than, than a counterpart of a different skin colour or somebody who went to a certain school in the UK. That can get you straight into through the door. So whilst I praise the exceptional candidates that have managed to make it there, that's why I didn't start screaming and shouting at the time when I wrote a slightly different post about it five days later around trying to change the education of the next generation of people, which is my son included, to start thinking differently. Because my, grand, my grandmother, her, her father was a slave. So we've come a long way from there. When I was a kid, people were racist to me when I was at school. I wasn't bullied, I was lucky, and it was probably an advantage to me. But we've come a long way from there. You can't expect change overnight. When my son is 35, speaking to one of his pals in the bar, hopefully we're speaking <laughs> about a different a different world again, but that's not going to happen unless I spend time educating my son and try and act as a role model and mentor to those who are going to come after me and show them what can be done. That time that you spent five days reflecting, thinking about, I guess, what was valuable for you to share. Like, once you got that off of your chest, once you shared that, because I, I saw your post, like, how, how did that make you feel? It was interesting because if anyone who to, most people who listen to this won't have seen the post. And the post was actually about my brother, who I love more than anyone in the world. We were best men at each other's weddings, we're best friends. He's white and I'm black. And we were born of the same mum but from different fathers. And we grew up in the same household our entire life. Never knew anything different. And I just thought, he's my brother and that's my mum. And this is our dog and this is our family. And as you get older, you're taught, and people would ask you, why are you black and why is it white? Why are you, so, you guys look so different, well, you can't be brothers. Um, and that was just taught to me. It was taught, not by my parents or the people who loved me, but by society, that we were different. And that kind of stuck with us. That we were a bit different, but we're brothers. Um, had we been two brothers of the same skin colour, we could have had completely different dads, right? But both of them were black or both of them were white. Wouldn't have never, would never have been an issue. We would then have been the same. Whereas my point was that 
I will teach my son and preserve that innocence of youth, that actually we are the same, because we are. Um, and we're only the, we only know what we're taught as children. I don't hate racist people. I don't I don't want to go I feel to sorry for them. I don't want to go to the southern states of America and be abused by a Ku Klux member. But I feel sorry for that guy, and I don't hate him. He's 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 regurgitating the rhetoric that's been rammed down his throat for his entire life. That's what he knows. That's what he understands. Um, just like we know and we understand something completely different. The most racist people in the world, the most racist areas in this country, are not areas where black and white people mix together. They are areas where they are segregated. And ironically, the most racist people, because they don't hang around with black people. Their kids don't go to the same schools as black people. And they, they fear what they don't know. And they know what their parents told them that these guys are, are criminals and these, these guys are. When the leader of America, Trump, is saying inflammatory statements like Mexicans are racists and drug, uh, rapists and drug dealers, what kind, of, what kind of message does that send? So you're sending out, you're in an environment of, 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 of a lack of diversity, and a lack of diversity breeds fear, and a lack of education, unfortunately, breeds ignorance. And that's what we need to change. We need to change the. We need to change potentially the how those people are educated. I listened to something else brilliant this morning on LBC um, with James O'Brien, and this caller called in and he said, "I'm I'm from a rural part of the UK. I'm from a rural part of England, and in my late teens, I almost joined the BNP because I felt like I had no self worth." Someone came around and, and they, there were meetings going on and people were marching and, uh, and there was this whole sort of quite far right movement. I'm quite ashamed to say it now. And I didn't join in the end. And then I went to university and I was mixing with Asian kids and, and I had black friends who were playing on the same football team and would go for beers. And, and I was really disgusted at those views that I had at that time. But had I not left that small town mentality and had I joined the BNP, or had I been part of some Britain first or something like that, and only been surrounded by small-minded, bigoted people who thought what, that, what I thought was right, had I not mixed with other diverse ethnicities, I wouldn't have been exposed, I would have been none the wiser, and I would have been stuck with my racist views. So I don't hate those people, and I love, I love the fact that he was able to share that because that's a lesson to lots of people. If you really dislike any group of people, the best thing you can do is you submerge yourself into their culture. I bet yeah. you'll come out hating them less. <laughs> See, what's interesting is, like I listened to, I can't even remember where I consumed this bit of information, but it was a, a video, probably Instagram, of uh, BBC Extra, like, video, and it was, I can't remember who the host was, but it was a black guy and a white lady phoned in and she basically said that I have no idea whatsoever, but if I walked out of a, she was like, I'm not racist. I'm not racist in any way, shape or form. I'm not racist, but I wanted to phone in and share this. And she basically said that if I walked out of her, if, if she walked out of a gym at nighttime and there was a big black guy in the same space as her, she would be scared and um, afraid, et cetera, et cetera. 
she then went on to say that if it was a white guy of exactly the same build, exactly the same look, she would not be scared or intimidated. And then the black guy said that as a black man, me seeing a white lady, I have been pre-programmed to want to make you feel happy. I've been pre-programmed to, to know full well that I, I now need to make you feel safe and comfortable. So I'll step away or I'll lower my hood so I can see your face or I'll take out the bass in my voice or I'll make myself a little bit shorter or I won't do all of these things for fear of, of a particular reaction. And I think these are the things that because of the situation that we're in now, because everyone is frustrated, like all of these like stories, all of these truths are, are coming out. And I hope this does not get taken out of context. I think it is, I think it's, it's beautiful how we have now started to grow. I'm just, hopeful that it's not a short burst or it's not just a blacked out screen it's not just a wave of like seven or ten days worth of oh no is that really what happened to you like what i want to see is is more open like dialogue like that regardless of of how in our heads ridiculous it is no, I agree. I agree. And I, I didn't share that blackout screen and I didn't, I haven't gone down that sort of hashtag route for that very reason. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, because one, there's a couple of things. Firstly, I'm not shocked. When I saw, I, I, I was horrified to see that video of George Floyd. It was, it was, a, it was a harrowing thing to witness. Didn't really sh surprise me. It's not I, I, I know that those things have been taking place for the last two hundred years. So imagine for one second if he'll do that to him while on video, while twenty-five people are around him. What happens when you get thrown in jail and there's no cameras there? What, yeah. what happens to a black man in a prison cell? We could talk about the number of black people being incarcerated around the world, which is also an enormous problem. 50% of the UK prison population, but only 10% of the overall population, that tells a story. So I wasn't, I'm not, I'm surprised that people are so surprised that there's yep. so much racism going on. <laughs> I'm completely, I'm fully aware of it, and I have been fully aware of it all of my life. Not that I've been subjected to overt racism my whole life. I haven't. I have it's, it's, if anything, I was, I've, I reckon being mixed race has probably been advantageous to me in my life, in my career path. I've, I've, I've used it. I've used it to fuel fuel my ambition. So I've not, and I'm lucky, and I've had lots of friends and been in the good circles and been able to look after myself. So I'm maybe it's slightly different, but I'm surprised that people are surprised about this. And your story about these sort of subconscious stereotypes that we all carry. We all carry them. I carry them. If I'm walking down, we, we live in Camden. If you're underneath the bridge and there's eight, nine black, um, black boys with their hoods up on their bikes, you, there's an edge to it. There's an edge to it. And they look like that and act like that because they're putting up a defense mechanism because they get stopped by the police all the time. They get X, Y, and Z against them all the time. 
you get put into a stereotype so much that you think, forget this, I'll think, if they think that of me, that's what I'm going to be. I'm not saying that it's any, by any stretch of the imagination that anybody's fault that people are racist towards them. But what you throw out to the world, the image that you project of yourself onto the world, gets reflected back on you. And I think that's what I've tried to impart on some of these guys from a mentorship perspective. Go and work hard, dig deep, find your passion, and really, really strive to excel at that. And don't, if you don't get something, it's not always just because you're black. Maybe you weren't the right person or maybe you weren't good enough. So we can't just get into this blame culture. But I completely agree with you that there are racial stereotypes that you just described that over generations will start to break down. But it has to come from the behavior of the, of the people being stereotyped and the behavior of the people who are putting that stereotype onto them. I actually had a, a discussion yesterday about exactly the same thing. And I don't know if this was me being too reflective, but like all of these years that I've been working with young people, I have essentially been preparing them for the world that we live in at the moment. The world is unfair. You are starting at a handicap, as in golf terms, just so that's yeah. not taken out of context. Um, yeah. You are starting in at a golf handicap and you're going to have to swing that club harder. You're going to have to hit that ball harder to be even noticed. And like that made me feel, it made me feel good that I'm, I'm, I'm telling people the truth, but it also made me feel bad that I have to be in a position where I have to say to someone that you might not make it because you're black. And that's yeah. sad. That's, that's extremely sad. And I think, um, yeah, and I think that's a really accurate, honest appraisal of the situation. I think we should also have a little look at, because I, I was born in London, but I grew up in, in, in Kent. And most of my mates are from a pretty working class, um, white environment. And those boys also have a, have a quite, severe i wouldn't say handicap and it's probably less so than than being black but the the, the white working class of this country who who primarily are the, are the angry people who you see marching against stuff have also been set at a disadvantage so our system is set up to 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 be to if, if poor people are already disadvantaged that gives them an extra disadvantage regardless of their color their socioeconomic background is a massive factor as to whether you're going to become rich and successful. Much harder if you're poor and black. There is a societal problem with, with how, we, uh, how we give opportunity to young people. Young people from disadvantaged backgrounds, young people from ethnic backgrounds, young people of certain religious denominations don't get given the same opportunities as others. And that is a problem. And I think we should try to look at inequality equally across races, across genders, across religions. And genuinely, my, my hope is that this starts to, like I said at the beginning, create a genuinely level playing field. I only want to see the best person make it. If you're the best, most driven, hardest working, most intelligent, most talented, most gifted um, person who's willing to go that extra mile, you genuinely should be able to 
not be held back because of your color. That's the that's the issue. And at the moment, the, the, the playing field is not level. The playing field is not even. And like you said, we're starting with one hand tied behind our back. We're a, we're a weighted vest on it. And we're expecting <laughs> to do a little bit better, right? We're going to go, me and you are going to have a little race here, but I'm going to put two ton on your back before you start. And then you've got to still beat me. If you yeah. beat me, I might give you the job. Maybe. So that's 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 what I'm hoping for. And, I, and then I guess that the main bone of contention here is how do we get to that level playing field? How do we create equality across race and gender uh, and, and, and social standing in this country? Um, because I'm also seeing a lot of this, a lot of this hate and a lot of this anger and a lot of this sort of disillusion is really targeted over, over the pond to the things that we see coming out of America. And whilst we are a global society, I think we've got to concentrate at home first because we need to make changes here. Yeah. You, can't, you can't shout across the pond and, and, and whilst police brutality and all those things and the leadership over there is horrendous. Don't get me wrong, that shouldn't be taken out of context. It is horrendous and it angers me just as much as it angers anybody else. But we've got some problems, we've got some fires to fight at home first. And I think if we can get 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 our local micro-economy into some sort of state, and the things that I can affect are the things that I can touch and feel and see. So that's where I'm going to start to try and have an impact before I start writing letters to the White House protesting about American police brutality, I'd love to see I'd love to see the black kids that you mentor in that inner city school. So we'd love to be able to come in and speak to those boys and give those boys an understanding of what of what I did to get to where I was and let them know that truly if they want it they can have it. Truly if they want it they can have it. It won't be an easy path and it'll be a path made slightly more challenging because of the because of their colour. But it is achievable. So don't don't not go for it. Go for it. I think if we're taught, we should treat kids. You can be anything you want. I don't think young black boys think they can be anything that they want, and that's a problem. And I think they should be taught from the start: yes, you can be anything that you want. You must be exceptional, but you can be anything. <laughs> And that is a beautiful ending or a beautiful close to, to this episode of the Tub Hub. Um, is there anything else before I thank you for joining me, Mr. Jameson, that you would like to share? How can people find out more about you? Where can they go? Instagram is normally the thing I use the most, uh, at Harry Jameson PT. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts on this podcast. And I think what I've... I'm really interested to, to hear people, genuinely to hear people's points of view, not BS internet trolls who just write, pick out one thing that I've said or that you've said and try and attack that, but genuinely people's views. So I want genuine argument and genuine conversation, but that one is done, that, that is done properly. And that's a good life lesson for anybody to learn and will help you get to where you want to be. Listen to the other person's point of view first and then articulate your argument second. It's a very, very, very rare skill and something that people should try and develop if they want to succeed. Now, do you want me to put this out on edited, Harry? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Harry Jameson. My guy. Thank you, brother. So here we have it, ladies and gents. That's the end of episode three of the Tub Hub. And that was Harry Jameson. What did you think of the episode? Like, how did it make you feel? Is, is, is this something that you would normally discuss? Is this something that you would normally speak to a friend about, speak to a colleague about, speak to a family member about? Is all of this information new to you? Did you know that things were this bad? Did you know that things had got better? Or was your head in the sand? Final thoughts. <laughs>